So if you're a guest or new, I'm going to help you out. So the tithe boxes are in the back. Communion is in the front. And you must know your Enneagram number if you're going to fit in at the well. Do I hear an amen? Amen. So what is Enneagram? Enneagram is a system of nine personality types. It's a tool um, to help you understand yourself and the people that you love. And while I was exploring Enneagram, because I forever cannot keep any of them straight except my own number, which I still second guess all the time, um, I did some exploring and I found somebody who actually took all the Disney princesses and gave them a number. So now I have a visual and a story to go with every number to help me learn Enneagram. How about that? But as I looked closer at this artist and what she has done, something else struck me. The difference between classic Disney heroines and today's modern Disney heroines. Have you noticed a difference? The newer Disney animated features like Tangled, who we have up there, they're not twos, redeemed perfect twos. They're sixes, sevens, eights, and nines, and they are messy. Like Tangled, they are an interesting departure from Disney's classic Disney of past generations. Past generations were traditional stories, right? Damsels in distress, immobilized by their life, when all at once a handsome, ripped prince, no less, comes in, rescues them from everything they know, and whisks them off to the castle to marry them as their, take their, them as their bride without ever having a conversation with her, right? And then they all lived, right? Wouldn't it be great if it was so? But entangled, Rapunzel is far more real. She is a beautiful damsel in distress, but she isn't looking for a hero, much less a prince. Instead, Rapunzel is longing to see in person these magical lights, if you've seen Rapunzel, um, these magical lights that fill the sky once a year, coincidentally on her birthday. Somehow she knows something within her senses, the lights are for her, that they tell her who she is, they tell her who she's supposed to be. That if she could just see the lights in person, life would make sense. As the theme song says, the fog would lift, the world would shift, and everything would be different. Tangled is a Disney feature. So if you haven't seen it, how many of you have seen it? Great. It, so you know there is a so-called hero, although it's, it's questionable whether his name is really Flynn or Eugene, right? And Flynn is less than adventurous. He is neither sophisticated, nor is he humble. He doesn't even like animals. But Rapunzel is good with this. She's okay with messy. She's okay with the people in her life being flawed. She's had to be. She isn't looking for a hero to rescue her from her life. She's looking to these lights to make sense of her life. Disney's Tangled is far more interesting than Snow White. As much as we would like that straight tale, um, disaster to perfection, the newer Disneys actually really are much more real. They are messy, they're complicated, but they are more universal in their message, are they not? So as we look at the four Gospels, yes, I am going to transition from Disney princesses to the four Gospels of Jesus Christ. Watch me. So as we look at the four gospel accounts and the women, women whose stories are within them, there is a temptation to look at these women as mere fairy tales, to see their lives as going, going from horrific to happy, complicated to simple, 
messy to perfection. To see them as old stories on a page with a straight line. But if we see them as just tales, we will be tempted to look for formulas. Ten steps to this, five steps to that. Oh, if I just do it this way, if I do good, try harder, my life will make sense. We will become cynical as our lives remain the same. God desires that we approach the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as they really are, real life stories in real time, meeting a real Savior. Sights, smells, tastes, touches, seasons, sunrises, and sunsets. Each woman, we will see, is caught in a tower of sorts. Each one, though, is being drawn to the light of the world to make sense of who they are, to tell them where they belong. God wants to awaken all of our senses in this room, even beginning now, to understand that these women were touched by a very real Savior in a real place, in a real time. And because their lives did collide with the light of the world, Jesus Christ, they began to become who they were always created to be, and they found the belonging they longed for. Did everything become perfect? Absolutely not. But they did come to make sense of their lives. So we may want old Disney, but if you're as old as me, you know that a tiara and a ball gown fixes nothing, no matter how much money you spend on it. Neither will a person or a possession or a title. We spend our lives thinking, as surely if I'm just loved by a man, surely if I could you know, redeem my parents a little bit, <laughs> um, if I could have a child, if I could have a job, if I could have a position, if I could have certain friendships, if I could have vacations, if I could have... And, we, and the older you get, this is the beauty of aging, is that you realize none of it works. There's something we long for that this life in of itself cannot satisfy. Nothing will do it. We long for something that we feel cut off from. What we long for is actually very real. And in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, God says yes. C.S. Lewis puts it, puts it this way. At the present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. And as a brief introduction to our weeks ahead, I want us to look at the God who said yes at the beginning of time and see that he is saying yes to you and I today in real time. Because what we long for is real. See, our longing goes back to when God first said yes. We long for Eden. We long for the time when God created us, when love created us, when the love between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit created you and I to enter into that love, a place of belonging that we can't even imagine, a, a paradise that makes the greatest of Disney lands far, far away look like a marsh or a, marsh or a bog. One moment, everything was perfect, and then the moment ended. Love created, and then life collided. And if you know Genesis 3, everything went sideways. In a moment of pride and arrogance, our ancient mother Eve rebelled against our father with Adam. 
And we lost perfection, peace, and our belonging. Our doubt, because we are her, gave way to distrust and then disobedience, which built a tower that now confines us, that puts us on the wrong side of the real world. We are locked away. We are captive to messy, complicated, disquieting, and sometimes even devastating lives because we are on the wrong side of the door. And we sense this, don't we? Don't you sense that you've been cut off from something that you belong to? We're right when we sense this. And the gospels we will be studying are the good news of Jesus. Jesus is the love of God sent to restore humanity through life colliding faith in him. You will hear that over and over again in the weeks ahead. Jesus is the love of God sent to restore humanity through life colliding faith in him. Jesus came to take us back to where we belong, to who we were created to be. No matter what we've done, no matter who we've become, there is a love that wants to collide into our imperfect, complicated, waiting lives, our disquiet, our devastations, our doubts. And he wants to collide into our hopes and our joys with fantastic and amazing purpose. As Elise Fitzpatrick writes, what we're going to see is that we don't have to wonder about the Father's disposition towards us. We don't have to speculate for one moment about our future. We can have a strong and sure hope because we see the invisible God by looking at the Gospels. God took on flesh. He loves you that much. So even if you're in a tower of your own making, your own sinful choices, or if you're even in a tower of someone else's making, you have been a victim and your life is complicated and painful. We don't have to set doubt God saying yes to us because we have Jesus. What greater evidence than to give his one and only son. God sent his eternal son that you and I would know where we belong and who he created us to become. So the women we will be studying are real. They are not fairy tales. I hope I've made my case. Their life-changing encounters, as we will see, are the gospel. Their accounts of love colliding into life are lights, lighting the night sky, drawing us to where we belong and who we were created to be. So I want to look for just a few minutes at God saying yes, a trailer of some of the women we will be looking at. If you want to, you can close your eyes because I do want you to smell, touch, taste, sense, hear. God says yes first to seeing women waiting on him to make sense of their lives, faithful women. Elizabeth, picture an older woman, steady, faithful, good, upright, not perfect, but humbly seeking forgiveness when she sins. She's committed to a right relationship with her God and her community but in her eyes is a sorrow and a sadness. She is missing the very thing that defines her as a woman in her culture, a baby. And on top of that, she suffers the disgrace and she's subject subjected to the judgment of those who wrongly assume that she is barren because she somehow has some hidden sin. That she's being punished by God for some reason. Her wrinkled face has never looked upon her child of her own. And her age-spotted hands have never held her husband's son. Yet she remains waiting for God to make sense. 
By contrast, she has a very young cousin, Mary, probably no older than 15. Picture a young teen girl in a dusty Palestinian village where everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everybody's business. Have you ever lived in a town like that? I did for two years until I escaped. <laughs> she is devoted to her God. She's longing to do what he has asked of her. And as her young hand tends to the family animals, she tries to stir up a smile as she greets those in her village, all the while wondering, what will happen when they discover I'm pregnant? What will Joseph do, the man to whom I am engaged? Will he put me out? Who will ever believe that I am carrying the Son of God conceived by the Holy Spirit? Elizabeth and Mary were real. So is the God who sees. Love collided to make sense of their waiting lives. The fog lifted, the world shifted, and everything was different. So if you don't relate to waiting Elizabeth and Mary, then maybe you relate more to a woman living a very complicated life, a compromised life. God says yes to stopping for a woman at a well. It's the heat of the day, and a woman is gathering water alone, hollow, lifeless eyes. Expect condemnation for her sexually compromised life. After five husbands, she now lives with someone who is not her husband. As she fills her jars with cool, clear water, Jesus crosses ethnic, religious, gender, and moral boundaries, every boundary of his day, to approach her. She hears steps coming towards her, an unusual sound for this woman. Jesus' knowing eyes meet hers with piercing kindness. Jesus shockingly speaks to her. The woman at the well was real, and so is the God who stopped, who went out of his way to invite her into a relationship with the living God. Love collided into her shunned, isolated life. The fog lifted, her world shifted, and everything was different. As John's gospel account writes, the woman left her water jar, left her life, and went away into the town and said to, to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? He is. And he said yes to another woman, to, to the sacrifices of a sinful woman in a very public place. A feast is happening. Picture it. Smell it. It's in, a high, it's in, a, it's in the home of a highly respected religious leader. The smell of roasted meat and simmering spices fill the dusty air. The who's who of the community are reclining at a table in their best garb. Conversation is lively and it's purposefully religious. But an awkward, angry hush falls upon the party. When the woman known as the sinful woman of that town bravely enters where she is unwelcome, Dressed and behaving shockingly, she approaches Jesus. An unexpected and unwanted sweetness fills the air as she begins to anoint Jesus' feet with perfume. The one who has told her she can be forgiven. She sobs uncontrollably. This forgiven woman soaks the Savior's feet with her tears, scandalously untying her hair to dry them. 
The tension in the room builds as Jesus pulls the attention back to him and tenderly and firmly reaffirms, your sins are forgiven. The sinful woman is real, and so is the God who said yes to her sacrifice. Love collided into her sexually immoral life as Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The fog lifted, her world shifted, and everything was different. Maybe you're more like a woman desperate for healing. Jesus is traveling in the middle of a huge crowd. People are pressing in on all sides. They want to hear him. They want to see what he's going to say next. They want to see what he's going to do next. And making her way through the dense, noisy crowd is a diseased woman, an unclean woman in her culture who shouldn't be out there with with the people. One who has been bleeding for 12 years. Her bank account and her hopes are depleted almost. She takes one last chance. Reaching for a man she heard can heal. As Jesus' robe runs through her fingers, Jesus knows he's been touched. Power goes out of him. Amidst the pushing throng of sweating bodies, Jesus feels this. He stops. Picture bodies bumping into each other as Jesus asks, Who touched me? Calling her out. The bleeding woman falls before Jesus and is compelled to tell all. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels record, Jesus says to her daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The bleeding woman is real and so is Jesus who said yes to surrendering his own power to heal her. Love collided into her desperate life. The fog lifted, the world shifted, and everything was different. Well, if you can't relate to any of these women, you cannot help but relate to at least one of two sisters. God says yes to serving Martha and Mary. Real sisters, real family issues, sibling rivalry. If you don't have sisters after watching them, you'll be really grateful and be thanking God for that. (laughs) Picture clanging of dishes getting louder and louder as Martha is getting exasperated with work while her sister Mary sits at this teacher's feet, just listening. Tension rises until Martha lashes out at both Jesus and Mary. And you wonder, was Mary clueless to what was going on because she was so enraptured at Jesus' feet? Or did she she know the whole time what was happening and she was rolling her brown eyes for the 15th time? There goes my sister. We don't know. We know that these very different sisters, that when death came for their brother, neither personality escaped death's terror, fear, or grief. It doesn't matter what our Enneagram number is. The sisters are real, the resentment is real, and so is the resurrection of their brother. Love collided into both personalities, redeeming both personalities with transforming life, as we will see. The fog lifted, their world shifted, and everything is different. So Martha and Mary and the many other lives that collide with Jesus, they are lights in the night sky. Their lives evidence the gospel of Jesus, the good news that that is life-altering. It's not merely advice. It's not merely an idea. It is life-altering news. Tim Keller puts it this way. In ancient times, a gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that's been done for you that changes your status forever. Imagine being in a concentration camp and finding out there has been victory 
and you are being set free during World War II, good news that changes the course of your life. The essence of other religions is advice. Five steps to this, 10 steps to that, three ways to do this. Christianity is not advice, it's news. And the good news is that we can be forever changed by the love of God colliding into our lives. Because love came to climb. The climax of what we will be studying is the woman at the cross in the tomb. All Jesus had done in all of the women's lives that we will study was only the beginning. Jesus was here to do so much more. And he made his move after three years of earthly ministry. He climbed a cross. And as these women continued to watch, as they stood at the cross, they began to grasp what it means that the light of the world had come to pierce the darkness of sin and death. So entangled Flynn, the hero, he steals a crown from the castle and he climbs Rapunzel's tower to escape a death he deserves, to hang on to a crown he doesn't deserve. By contrast, Jesus, the perfect son of God, took on the form of a man setting aside his eternal crown for that time, to face a death he didn't deserve, to give you and I the crown of life we don't deserve. Jesus came to rescue us from the tower of sin and suffering through repentance and faith to take us back to where we belong. Jesus reunites us to the Father by taking our place in the tower of sin and suffering. On that cross, the sin of all who would trust in him was laid on him and paid for. And the suffering that we experience now is nothing compared to what we deserve if we have faith in him. He took on the greatest suffering for us. On the cross, Elise Fitzpatrick writes, Jesus' perfect blood streamed down his body and tumbled through space, pooling on the earth beneath his feet. It mingled with the dirt he created. And from it grew our hope. As the woman stood near the cross, Jesus' body was taken down and buried. And three days later, the women stood at the tomb. They looked into a dark, <clears throat> dank, empty tomb. And only linen lay in the shape of his body. As women were the first to witness his incarnation, women were the first to witness Jesus' resurrection that ensures our crown of life. A crown our Father now guards for us for the day when we too will be resurrected just like our Savior into the life we've always wanted, where we belong, fully who we were created to become. As C.S. Lewis puts it in The Last Battle, we will say, I have come home at last. This is my real country. This is the land I've been looking for all my life. And as the women embraced the resurrected Jesus, they knew all Jesus did and said is real. And it was just the start. The fog lifted, the world shifted, and everything is so different. So through his word, God is saying yes to us through Jesus. Will we let these real encounters of love collide with our lives? Will they be lights in the night sky that draw us to where we belong 
further moving us to who we were created to become. If you go home from here and watch Tangled or search social media and the internet for Enneagram, I will have failed. They might entertain you and certainly inform you, but neither a Disney feature nor even a personality profile will change your life. But if you open your study, if you open the word of God to know the person of God in Jesus Christ, love will collide into our very real lives. We will enjoy Tangled much more and we will understand Enneagram far better also. Love will collide into our waiting and wondering, our complications, our repeated failures, our diseases of mind, body, and heart, our hunger for identity, our hopes and our joys with explosive purpose, and into the competing voices, my sisters, that seek to define us as 21st century women. Like the women Jesus changed, we in this room have different stories and spiritual experiences. We vary. This may be your first Bible study ever. This may be your 70th Bible study. And I pray that you feel safe and that this is a place for you to really, really lean in and let the Lord talk to you through his word. You may come here anxious or you may come here apathetic and hope that I'm almost done and I am. God brought you on purpose and he brought you for a purpose. Because the more deeply we together here as we sit under God's word and especially as we, as we converse it with one another in our small groups, the more deeply we experience this together, we expose our hearts and our minds to the life and ministry of Jesus together, the more we will experience the love of God colliding into our lives. Now I have to promise you, we may not be miraculously untangled from our realities. We may not be supernaturally healed of our diseases, of our sin and our sickness and our sorrow, but I do believe that together we will see things differently. We will find peace and joy. And even if nothing in our life changes, we will change and that changes everything. We will become his lights, drawing others to where they belong in this community, to who they were created to be. So when Jeff and I joined you all over two years ago, our lives were very tangled in sorrow. We came raw, vulnerable, awkward, and disoriented. Some would argue still awkward. <laughs> Worshiping with you as a community, the fog began to lift. And God used many of you in this room individually to untangle the reality of our life. We see things differently. We have found peace and deep joy. We are still being changed and we're so grateful. And that is my prayer that that will be this place for each of us. Wherever you find yourself today, I can promise you, as we say yes to worshiping the one who gave us one and only son, the one who said yes to us, the fog will lift the world will shift, and everything will be different. Will you pray with me? Father, as we go to small groups now, I praise you and thank you that you gave us Jesus, the yes to every promise of salvation throughout your word, to evidence who you are. 
And I pray that as we learn of his life and ministry, as that goes deeper into our soul, we will utter our amen to you for your glory and our joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.